welcome to the Saxophone Academy podcast. I'm Dr. Wally Wallace, and on this episode, I chat with my amazing co-host, Dr. Susan Fancher, about saxophone practice, peak performance practice habits, and things to make your playing better. We also dive into the mailbag and answer some of your questions. And if you have a question for the podcast, please do reach out. You can email me, wally at thesaxophoneacademy.com. Hope you're having a great week and enjoy the episode. Like even more well, of a loser. Thanks, Wally. Well, if I'm looking for something interesting, I will check it. But yeah. otherwise, I'm like, no, Jared, I'm not opening up this email now. But I that's, know you. I should not. You're right. You're right. You're right. Maybe don't I'll don't open it. Yeah. Don't open email. That's and that's our lesson here at the Sax. I Academy. love things like I hope you're having a wonderful day off. Here's something I need from you. Right. Um, <laughs> wait a minute. Just, yeah, that happened to me recently. I won't say from whom. And I was just like. I hope you're enjoying your day off. And then I'm thinking, why am I looking at emails? If it's my day off, which you could ask me that. Oh, wow. If you don't see it, it uh, doesn't exist. Schrod- Schrodinger's oh email, right? Wally, my brain is just spinning with so many things I want to talk to you about. Okay. And I don't even know where to start because we, we haven't talked like in so long. I, I mean, we talked last week, but I mean, like in years, literally, we <laughs> barely talked. And there's so many things going on now well let's talk about most important things first so the new season of stranger things i'm not done with oh yeah so no spoilers no spoilers spoilers. spoilers. i think i'm on episode six okay we're way behind because we have young kids okay and uh yeah my daughter's gonna need therapy because she walked out when during one of the Uh, that's kind of a mini spoiler not really yeah Uh, i can't i can't make crunching noises without i have to close my eyes every time i just yeah (laughs) 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 okay so now any listeners yeah who don't want to get into Stranger Things, and now they're like, yeah, even another reason not to get not into it. Not to get, it. it's so good. So <laughs> it's oh, so, really good, uh, yeah. So last season of Stranger Things, yeah. I promise this is saxophone related, because <laughs> right now people are like, I didn't I didn't tune in to hear people talk about their favorite hey, TV shows. Hey, saxophone players are people too. Wait, well, what? kind of. Oh. Yeah, we're just like normal, we're just like normal people, okay. only lower paying and more neurotic. <laughs> so um, last season... I'm really excited about this. Um, you know, the big hit song that ended the finale was the theme to The NeverEnding Story. Oh, God, I yeah. had forgotten and that. And so I've, I'm playing the Eastern Music Festival uh, next week. Oh. And we're going to be doing an arrangement for Quintet. Nice. I'm super, hopefully it turns out. Nice. I have a much smaller role than you in the Eastern Music Festival. What are you I'm, doing? I'm playing alto saxophone on the July 2nd concert right. for an American in Paris. That's actually a bigger role, really. I'm playing the chamber crawl. That's cool. That's though. where they just the, the drunk locals go from bar to bar, and then you, we play. It's way fun. Yeah, but you get to play in Scuppernong Bookstore. Yay, Scuppernong Books in so I'm excited about downtown that. Greensboro. I'm going to have to focus because I love bookstores. I'm going to be like playing in like, oh, what's yeah. that book? Ooh, yeah, be careful that book? about that. Yeah, be careful yeah, about that. I'll yeah. be very careful. Yeah. So what's new and exciting? What, do you pro- uh, what did you practice this morning? What did I practice this morning? I'm practicing a piece by Rodney. Wait, wait. wait Rodney Rogers called... Uh, I know how to play it. I don't know what it's called. Wait, a lesson in the sky. Lesson in the sky. <laughs> yeah. Alto saxophone? A soprano saxophone? Soprano saxophone and piano piece. I'm not playing the piano, though. I'm playing the soprano saxophone. It's probably for the best. <laughs> I, oh, yes. <laughs> Suzanne Pollock's going to play okay. piano with me. But I'm doing a recital at the end of July, a benefit concert for SAI. Well, that's right. Philanthropies. Okay. And so I practice that. I practice the first movement of soprano saxophone concerto by Mark Engelbretson. You have to. And a new piece by Char Joyner for mm-hmm. soprano saxophone and piano. And then Indiria Everett wrote a piece for soprano oh, saxophone and piano. And then, oh, I'm doing a really beautiful piece by Morricone called Gabriel's Oboe. Really gloriously beautiful piece. Uh, music from the movie The Mission. 
Oh yeah, that you know this tune. Da, 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 da. Strangers in the da, night. Okay. It's very similar, isn't it? That's funny. I didn't yeah. think about that. Anyway, so well, that's just, not uh, in the movie The Mission. <laughs> I'm just practicing for that recital, and it's just really I got my saxophone kind of checked out at more music. A couple weeks ago by Evan Rains. And Our personal playing, repair technician. Yes, it's playing beautifully. I always, Who never gives us, me any discount, frankly. So I don't know why. I don't why. think we get a discount on repairs. Well, no, I, so I'm going to quit mentioning his name. My repair yeah. guy, <laughs> unnamed. Unnamed. He's very unnamed. good. He's very good, and he's just so nice. Yeah. And he, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to other people who have their instruments in there to get repaired, because I think sometimes... You know, I lean on him a little bit. I feel only a little bad about this and say, I've only got a week. Could you just, like, put my name ahead of these he, other... <laughs> I can't tell you how little he cares about the turnaround. So I'm like, I'll turn it in, and he'll, like, point to a Bundy, too. He's like, you're behind that one, Wally. And I was like, okay. Oh. He's got to pull a dead cockroach out of a, a student Bundy <laughs> before before he'll touch my... Before he touch your pro horn. My pro horn, yeah. No, he's awesome. Oh, well. So he's you, great. So I got my horn back, so it plays great, and I'm practicing soprano, and I'm having a good time. Okay, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. When you are practicing, so when you're playing this SAI uh, convention, yeah, um, I imagine it'll be a stage. I think so. It's in a convention center, so it'll, they'll they'll mock up some kind of stage because yeah. they have to get a piano and everything. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So when you're practicing, have you ever found how do you balance practicing in your home in your small space? Uh, I assume your space is reasonable, like most. Yeah, people it's that a have shed. Actually, it's literally a shed. Are you? Okay, so professor, saxophone professor yeah. <laughs> at Duke University is literally the one shedding. Where like, well, yes, the exactly. New York jazz musicians <laughs> are like renting practice spaces, but you're literally the one in the shed, Sue. Well, yeah, but I have the luxury of you know being a homeowner, and we have a, a one car garage that was really really derelict when we bought the house. We bought this total fixer upper about five and a half years ago, and so there was this one car garage. Didn't even have a garage door. Just had like an open gaping. Bah, we would put gardening tools in there and the lawnmower yeah. and just junk. And nobody ever stole anything. I mean, well, there was nothing worth stealing, yeah. so that might be... <laughs> no one took your junk, huh? And it was just creepy with cobwebs and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, the, the pandemic happened. Did you know about that? Never heard of it. Yeah, Let's go right? on. So in 2020, in the summer, we decided since we were stuck at home an awful lot, that we needed to do something with this kind of dead space and our kid needed some place to get out of the house and go psychologically. And we had been thinking for years that we ought to have like an art creative space for our kid. Like you have an art room for your kids. Because mm -hmm. if you have kids, you know, art supplies, oh, they God. go, I mean, they take over your house. And we're like, okay, so for yeah. years and years and years, we're like, okay, we need an art studio for our kid. Okay, fine. So we hired somebody. We did a lot of the work and hired somebody to do the other work and like put doors, real doors on this and closed it up and made it into an art cave, we call it. And so it's a really wonderful space. It's probably like 20 by 12 or something like that. So That's it's a good size. Really good size. Like a little mini concert hall. Yeah. And we got some windows put into it. So it's some stationary windows in addition to two doors that have windows in them. So it's got gorgeous light. Anyway, so... I go out there to practice when the kid is still asleep till noon in the mornings now because, you know, it's summer vacation for our college kid. Right. And so I could be that parent who's like, I'm going to practice at nine. Sorry. Or I could go out to the art cave and practice and not bother the kid. And that's what I've decided to do. So anyway, I actually literally go to the shed. The shed. Okay. Which I love to say, I'm going to go to the shed. So you practice in the shed. <laughs> yes. And then, but you're going to perform on stages. And at Duke, you yes. perform on... Big stages. Yeah, really so, different acoustics. So from that what leads yeah. to a question. Yeah, um, this is from mm. uh, Don Manuel. 
Um, first, you started with a bunch of compliments, which okay. great. So that's well, why I'm that's reading great. the question. People that don't start with flattery, their questions seem to get lost. Right. Yeah. But notice how <laughs> humble we are that you're not reading all the flattery. Um, or are you going to read? Dear Doctor Wally, I can only imagine you smell like leather and. No, I'm kidding. And vanilla. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. No, I'm kidding. He didn't wow. write that. Uh, here's my question. <laughs> okay. In a recent, and this is on you. I have to ask it because he's, he's quoting you. Okay. Oh, uh, no. Oh, no. In a recent podcast, <laughs> you and Susan advocated a strong air support, even alluding to using all one's energy to play. I've heard this other places as well, because it's true. But that's my interjection. That's Got it. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I've heard this other places as well, but seems to be counter to achieving a Paul Desmond sound, which I like. I know there are nuances to strength and support, but I'll just leave it there so what Whoa, I, it got me thinking there's a lot in that question yeah there's a lot uh, um maybe even an episode's worth yeah. um which is good because we didn't plan much paul else, desmond I love well paul here's desmond. what i remember a long time ago when the university of georgia it doesn't matter because i'm still paying off student loans so i'm not going to mention any university's name yeah. um i'm not going to give them any press um when i went <laughs> to a certain state university they moved to a new building that had teeny tiny modular dead practice rooms oh i know what you're talking and about. i worked oh. so hard all the time like all classrooms to get rid of the fuzz and the buzz in our tone and i found in these completely dead practice rooms i got rid of the fuzz and the buzz only the problem was I was using so little air to get the sound that I wanted. Then I went to the mm. stage for my dress rehearsal with my pianist with a nine-foot concert Steinway, and I was swallowed alive. I was, And she yeah. was just like, I can't hear you, Wally. And I was like, I can't hear myself. Why are you playing louder? And she's like, no, let's try the short stick. Went to the short stick. And I had really completely nerfed my playing um, by trying to play to a small dead space and make myself sound the way I wanted in a small dead space because I was not using air. Yeah. And so it got me thinking about this question, or that wow. question got me thinking about that. So first, um, I want to talk about how do we practice in a way, you know, the saying in the Army is we train as we fight, we fight as we train. Meaning yeah. when in Army training, they try to make it as real as possible in that situation. So when we're playing, when you're in your shed or one of them in my practice studio, how do we still, would you agree that regardless of what space you're in, you need to use a big, big, <laughs> big full supported airstream? Yeah, and that doesn't necessarily have to translate to loud, but it translates to a big full sound. You right. don't want to like don't have to like be blowing on the end of the high dynamic range of the right. mouthpiece. But yeah, no, you should always be playing with good support and energy. But it's true, it's easy to it's easy to get a little lazy about that mm -hmm. when you're in a small space because the saxophone's a big sound. Right. Oh gosh. So hmm. I one thing I, I will say to um to Don is that it sounds light and fluffy, but I guarantee you, Paul Desmond, Stan Getz, were using a ton of air. Oh, yeah. That's what, what I was going to say. What they're yeah. doing is they're not just blowing their guts out and getting a very buzzy sound. What they have is cooperative resistance. Oh, uh, yeah. As my friend from the, uh, Jack from the Boston Sack Shop called it. I never heard it called that before, and it immediately... I've never heard that term like, either. That's yeah. the term I've been looking for. That that ba Our balance, as I call it, in equipment. So... You even when we're playing soft, we're still pushing a lot of air. How does that work? Almost more. How does that work, Sue? Almost more. Think about a stage whisper. Oh yeah, we've talked about that before. Yeah, it, I mean, if you whisper like this, you can barely hear them. But if you whisper like this, yes. you know, and you if you just practice a stage whisper, you know, you you just you don't have to say okay, diaphragm, do this, or you know, right. you know, belly muscles, core muscles, do this. <laughs> they just know what to do. You don't have to tell your <laughs> muscles what to do. Intercostal muscles yeah. engage. Yeah, uh, yeah whatever is doing that. Right. You know, you know. And you should always support, So, but should. I mean, do we? Uh, you know, the other thing was I was thinking of was make sure that you get out and 
and perform in those spaces that you're going to have to perform in often enough that you remember right. what that's like. What and I remember the first time during the pandemic, the first time I went back out to a big stage after having not done it for a year, I was like, whoa, I had to get reaccustomed to what it felt like. And it takes, every time you go to a new hall, it takes a little bit of time right. to get used to the dynamics. That's why we do a sound check, right? right. Even if we're just four saxophones, um, acoustic with no amplification we always do a sound check well i'm playing the hall and at first it's like whoa i can't hear you wait right are you playing really soft are you playing really loud or you know and it's your ears need a little bit of time to get used to the space mm -hmm. but what you're talking about is more like losing you know forgetting to support when you're in a small space and yeah yeah it's easy mm -hmm. to get lazy but what if you just think a lot about like the quality of your sound because if you're getting Hmm, but you were thinking about that in that lousy I was trying rehearsal to get, room. Yeah, I was trying to get rid of mm. buzz and fuzz. And I did. <laughs> Only it brought my yeah, sex down those, like 30 decibels. Those those practice rooms are Miserable. extremely tough. And you're just going to have to maybe put up with sounding bad in those rooms or right. something. I don't know what to say about that. My shed sounds pretty good. That's It's got a pretty high ceiling. Well, because Sue Fancher is playing in that shed. Oh, well, you are That's so why. kind. But it's got a cement floor. And it's got a peaked, we left the, the we didn't close off oh, the ceiling, so it's got a peaked nice. ceiling. And it's 20 by 12, so it's pretty good size. It's got stuff in it because it's got art supplies mm -hmm. and a clothes rack because my kid likes to do sewing and things like that. And um, it's pretty good sounding space. My living room's pretty good. I guess my advice would be this is not going to be realistic. If possible, don't have too terrible of a practice space. Yeah, uh, by a, by a you, giant American house. You can't always you can't always have any control over that. So when my kid was really little, and like a baby, and still had to take naps. Mm -hmm. Remember those bad old days? Mm, no, I put a mental oh, block on it. My gosh! And the house we lived in was a split level, like a 1960s split level house, mm -hmm. and it, there was no place like I didn't have a shed or anything like that. There was no garage. There was no way to go practice when when she was taking a nap. I would go to the farthest room I could get in the house, but I mean, it's split level. So you're, you know, right. you can't get far away from anything. Um, I would go into the corner of the lowest room in the house and I put pillows up in the corner and I would put my little music stand and my chair there and play into these cushions and play as softly as possible. Aww. And then the first concert I had, you know, with, you know, with solo saxophone stuff, I just was so blown away by how it sounded to play in the you know in yeah. the concert hall because I had done exactly the thing you're talking about mm -hmm. you know I had really tried to play as softly as possible right. so I wouldn't wake up the kid and it's a saxophone for God's sakes you know and sometimes I would just barely blow on the horn and finger oh my gosh I it know, was it's, it, it's, in a way yeah. it was good for my playing because I worked on my soft end of playing that is good I mean I mean you, you wrecked <laughs> another part but other than, other than that Mrs. Lincoln how but was you the know play what? but yeah. it came back to you know playing loud on the saxophone kind of like falling off a bike you can't forget how to do it <laughs> <laughs> falling off a bike <laughs> you, you know change that, that yeah I know <laughs> riding a bike Sue we're all about success here that's a dad Academy. joke that's one of my husband's jokes it's just like falling off a bike <laughs> yeah I always like that we'll jump off that bridge when we get to it <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> So I, I will say to to Don's question, oh, Paul God. Desmond was using a lot of air. Oh yeah, but in the reason he had that sound is he had cooperative resistance. Yeah. Now without getting too much into the equipment, his MC Gregory mouthpiece or whatever, because I don't care. Yeah. Um, he had a stiffer reed, so that's what created the wispy, softer sound. Oh, yeah. He was blowing a lot of air against a firmer reed, not thicker, yeah. because reeds are all cut to the same specification. It's just yeah. stiffer. Uh, more resistant yeah. cane. Um, so yeah, you create the resistance there. 
So how? Let's brainstorm here. Because I have a lot of students that they practice in small spaces and then they go to play with their groups and they, you know, and then womp womp. So one of the things I like to do was um, start to play with, get out in your community now that, you yeah. know, we're kind of getting out kind of can. with vaccinations yeah. and I'm such. S- we're so afraid to say it, aren't we? Now I'm not that this it. is over, we, we, can't, we can't say it. It just jinxes it. I'm going to edit that we, out. We keep saying it. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. But maybe we're getting on the other end. Thanks. You just or? brought upon the uh, okay. the uh, the Omega <laughs> monkeypox variant. Oh, no. They're going to get together now, aren't they? Yeah. They're going to. Oh, we shouldn't joke corona, about it. Oh, corona. It's not funny. Pox. Okay. What yeah, were you so, going to say? So, yeah. I forgot. Because uh, we're talking. No, your student and okay. how they're going to get so, yeah, resistance. So, join or, yeah. ensembles. Join yes. other places. Go. Uh, most communities are going to have a community band or something like yeah. that. What I like to do is, well, also, I'm neurotically early to almost everything. Yeah. So I like to get to wherever I'm going to rehearse early yeah. and then practice in that large space yes. for a little while. And I would find that most people aren't. And there might be like an oboe player there early warming yeah. up and they'll shoot you dirty looks. Oh, well. But the oboe player, you can take them. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, totally. mean I mean, just you don't even need a self-defense class. They're oboe players. I yeah. mean, they're just going to be, they're going to have an asthma attack and cry. So you don't have to worry about them. Go join a community band, join a big band, join yeah. some kind of civic group, and then whatever rehearsal space, I like to go early or a little bit after, you know, yeah. and then talk to the conductor or whatever. And I've never had a problem going to rehearsal halls early and seeing that I stand on the stage and fill up the hall. Here's a crazy idea. Go for it. Can you go out on your porch or your balcony or a nearby park and just go play outside? Yeah. Why not? Just go do that. You know, during the day when you're not going to bug anybody, hey, put your case out there. You might get a couple bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe don't practice your scales. Maybe you'll, play you'll, a song. <laughs> you'll come back with some some spare change in monkeypox. Yeah. <laughs> but you could just just go play outside. But you're yeah. right. Get if you only have a small space to practice in, get out of it once in a while yeah. so you remember what it sounds like to put your sound into something bigger. The other thing I want to circle back just for a brief minute on. Um, Paul Desmond is, even though it may not sound like he's using a lot of air volume, I assure you, he's using a lot of energy. Mm. Ah, There's so that too. much energy, you know, the way he's supporting and the way he's thinking about the musical line. Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking about shaping your musical lines and just making a beautiful sound, it takes energy to make a beautiful sound. So even if you're in a, a small practice space, and we've all had to do that in college, most of the practice spaces are right. are not performance spaces. They're you know they're practice rooms, but you can still concentrate on playing a good line. And if you concentrate on that, there's a certain amount of air you have to use to blow through the line. Through That's the line, ex- yeah. So we don't expression. we don't address each note individually. It's right. the, the notes lead somewhere. That's a slight tangent. That's a problem I'm having explaining fully, or my students are very dense. One, no, they're very no, bright. No, they're very uh, bright. So, you know, it's we're playing a bebop line. And there's all these little eighth note rests. Yep. And the students lose momentum. They play dup, dup, da, dup, dup, da, dup, da, dup, dup, you know, and then there's these breaks. And I try to explain that the rest, in most cases, within the bar, even if it's separating an antecedent and consequence phrase, it's not a really. It's a break in sound, but it's not a break in the phrase or right. our airstream. They're still part of the line. Yeah. How do we teach that? I'm well, having a hard know, time. So you get that in all kinds of music, right? Think about um, one of these great standards of the classical saxophone repertoire. Da 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 da. Oh, the rest of the car. Yeah. There's all those little rests and the You know, gotta make a line out of it. You know, I just um I just interviewed Tim McAllister. Yeah. I know you're busy, so you probably haven't listened yet. But he was talking about how people, you know, joke about the first five notes of the crescent. There's actually T-shirts. People have made T-shirts, yeah. kind of making making a 
I believe the, the youth pronounce it meme out of it. But anyway. Mem, it's memmy. <laughs> it's a meme. It's a meme. <laughs> it, yeah, no, no. So he was saying, he's just like, you know, people can joke, but I can tell in the first five notes if that's a good saxophone player. Yep. And I know you can as well. Yep. I'll pretend that I can. But it's, and I would expand it even further to the way they play that first line of the Crescent Sonata, how we treat those rests yeah. says volumes about their, their understanding of music. So how do you teach that? Yeah, think about that. There's a rest, but the line doesn't stop. The rest is part of the line. Yeah, well, you know, one thing to do is take the rest away and just play through it, right? Or just figure out what the structural tones are. And get yourself in your inner ear. That sounded like some kind of like warning tone. You got to fix the recording. Keep going. I'm very curious now. Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't know. Oh, he's grabbing his saxophone. I don't know. Because I don't have to. Is that what you say? That's just like my morning voice. This is a prototype mouthpiece, actually. It's my jazz setup. Oh, let's see. No, I was low. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. That was in poor taste. But yeah, yeah. No, no, that's cool. You were very close. It's funny how we just get, yeah, we get these things in our ears, right? Yeah. Yeah, That's so funny. So ask me about my prototype mouthpiece and prototype horn. So let me. Nope. (laughs) We're not talking about gear today. I made a promise. This mouthpiece is weird. It's white. It's not. That's not. It's beautiful. It's bone white is what I offer my mouth. Beautiful. You. Wally, it's really beautiful, and I have mouthpiece envy now. Okay. So there. Yeah, but, you know. The rests are still part of the phrase, unless yeah. it's a rest-separating phrase. So, you know, this this it's kind of almost like Shankarian analysis. Like, you could do this with, with the jazz tune, too. I can't sing it. That one's harder to sing. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't sing bebop. You yeah. know, try to find, like, structural tones in a melody, because composers think that way, right? Dee. You know, there's these certain notes that are the important notes we can say, or the structural tones. The macro line. There you go. Yeah. 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 And all the other stuff is really like embellishment. Right. And so if there's a rest, that's part of the envelopment. One of the other things I'm trying to get my students to understand, and Michael Hester, my my dear mentor in Tucson, have not, he was the one that really taught me, he's like, well, you need to end, uh, you need to end that note with your tongue. And I was like, what? Because I learned, I could yeah. never do this. He's like, no, because the rest needs to start exactly there because the rest is part of the rhythm. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, interesting. oh, yeah. crap. The rest is in a space between rhythm. Right. The rest has a rhythm. Yeah. And when we end a note clearly, then it gives the rest integrity, rhythmic integrity. And like that just hit me like a ton of bricks. And then we would apply that to, you know, different sonatas and concertos. And it just... I realized how immature I was thinking about a lot of things. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. But this but, thing about musical line is everything, Wally. It and is. That's, that's basically everything, honestly, that Hemke taught. And I have to say, that's pretty much everything I work on. And it sounds like a simple thing. And once you feel like you get it, I hope I'm not deluding myself. Once you feel <laughs> like, I, I feel like I know how to play a musical phrase in a musical line, but I assure you, I, you do. I always thought I did when, before, before I worked right. with Hemke, I thought I did. And now I go back and listen to stuff. I'm like, wow, God, a little line would be nice there. Sufancher, you know, but once, you know, it seems like you're doing it. It seems like you're doing it, but once you really do it 
it makes so much difference in your playing. And I'll tell the students, listen, so, you know, we can put a dotted line over this phrase and then mm -hmm. we'll put a breath mark there. So you, you don't go. Da, 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 da. Every time there's a rest does not mean we have to breathe. Exactly. And so I would do a dotted line and then show them where they're going to breathe, which means that's the phrase. Right. And once you think about that and you just keep working on it and keep working on it. And when you get it, it's like, oh, and don't be afraid to shape it more, mm -hmm. you know, do more than you think. You know, the Joe Daly, you know, everything sounds uh, exaggeration sounds normal out front. He would always say it's, you know, that's smart. Do more like yeah. stage makeup. Yeah, it looks grotesque yeah. up close. And I know yeah. we've talked about this before, yeah. but on stage or in the audience, it in that way you can see the expression. Yeah. Do more than you think you should like retard more, accelerando more, crescendo more, decrescendo more. You know, add too much vibrato at something, and then you can hear, oh, whoops, that was too much. I know what you mean. Like, sometimes, yeah, we almost have to, like, encourage our students to go grotesque to begin to approximate what is perceived or yeah. perceivable. And depending on the student. Yeah, there are some that <laughs> get a little romantic in their playing. Yeah. Joe would always say to me, can you do more? Can you do more? Can you do more? <laughs> and then one day he looked at me and he said, you know what? Just overdo it, like way overdo it, because you right. can't, so try to. And he said, you just have too much self-control and too much, too much restraint. Yeah. And then you have, you know, you get some students who, whoa, well, let's just like rein that in a little bit. But most of us are not like that. Most of us are afraid, or maybe afraid's not, we have so much restraint that we don't push that limit. Right. And it's kind of gross when you do push the limit, but you should you at least find like, the limit. Find, exactly. Yeah. And it's really hard to do that because you're, you're good taste. You know, yeah. it makes me think of the fast and furious Tokyo drift. Okay. Uh, if you're not out of control, then you're not in control. Huh. I think I've never seen a fast and furious movie, but that was in the trailer. <laughs> and I was like, I think I knew what they mean. Line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Meaning you got to go for it. You got to, you got to put Vin Diesel in the, okay. I know nothing about movies. <laughs> <laughs> the thought of those bore me to tears. Oh. Boy, this question really got us, didn't it? It, it really did. <laughs> it's a great question. It, it brings is, up so many It is things. a good question. Yeah. Um, I have one more question. Okay. And then that's going to make a liar out of me when I read this question. Uh-oh. Uh, this is from David Lewis. Um, saxophonists these days seem to be gearheads, wanting heavy screws, aftermarket necks, expensive ligatures, power stones, etc. I have my own opinions on the matter. Cough. You'll only ever sound like you. Cough. Uh, but what are your thoughts? <laughs> and although that's his actually his insertion, <laughs> David David gets me and you. Uh, and I thought it's a waste. I do believe that if it makes player feel better, more confident, uh, that's all that matters. But what are our thoughts? So I promised that we wouldn't talk about gear. So maybe talking about the lack of the need of new gear. So let's talk about some of these crazy things. Heavy mass screws. People swear by them and they love them. I don't have one. Yeah. Tim McAllister but, uses one. Yeah. And he, he sounds great. He's amazing. Uh, and I, after the interview, I will say he thinks very deeply about things. He doesn't yeah. do anything. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. But I will not play one. Why not? Because I'm I'm a man. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need that. I have, I have, <laughs> I have zero machismo in my body, as, as you know. No, no. I, I made drill sergeants <laughs> laugh when I was in the Army. Because when I said... Drill sergeant, this blanket's awfully scratchy. <laughs> I actually made a drill sergeant laugh, which is one of my crowning achievements. So, no, it's That's for me. That's pretty cool. I balance resonance or perceived resonance or that that um, vibrational feedback that we get. Sometimes the yeah. audience can't hear it, but if it feels good to us, we yeah. sense more vibration. I notice the difference between teeth patches and not. If I take oh, the, the sure. tooth patch off my yeah. mouthpiece, I feel like it's brighter. 
Yeah. It's a perception thing, obviously. It doesn't really matter if it is or not. It just right. it matters it, to you, though, and you matter. Different, you play different. <laughs> becomes a feedback loop. Yeah. But for me, one of the biggest balancing things with all these things that we'll be talking about here in a second for me is aesthetics, visual uh, aesthetics. Yeah. And I know there's some people like rolling their eyes and like, that's stupid. You shouldn't care how it looks. I really care. I part of the reason I picked the saxophone uh, is because it's, it's just stunningly so beautiful. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. And on one hand, we talk about like, and people say they don't care. We're like, well, all right, well, if I made one that looked like a potato sack but sounded like gorgeous, would you care? Well, then I'd care. We like, all care at some <laughs> at level. At some level, yeah. Some level. I cared a lot more. I think also I may be stuck in the um, that ideal of the ninth, the mid-century classical when classical and jazz were in their peak, like in the 1950s, before yeah, you know yeah. popular music had completely yeah, wiped it out. Right. There was an aesthetic quality too that where the musicians. I'm not saying we need to dress up, but yeah. there was intention in the presentation of the music. Yeah. They knew it was high art and they presented it as yeah. such. Um, and beyond the aesthetic, I mean everything. A lot of stuff in the 1950s was. Terrible, unless yeah. you're a straight white guy. Sure, yeah. Um, but like aesthetically, yeah. I think like how much beauty and like well, when people dressed up to go out, thought there even was to in go the to the grocery store or something. And so know? I kind of and this is getting back to the sax to David's question. I promise you. Yeah. But it got me thinking that I think part you know part of what people are doing is like, we don't we need to be more informal. We need to have people just wearing t-shirts and and playing Disney tunes and it's like you know. That's the entire world right now. Yeah. What if we made art music, classical and jazz, feel special again? Yeah. What if instead of going to hear the the blues band at the local bar, you know, playing Ted Nugent covers? <laughs> I'm gonna, oh, okay, stop nauseous. it, Wally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what if like I don't think we need to make classical or jazz less formal. Yeah. I think it needs to feel special because there's enough informality and just drudgery in our life as a parent. Well, I agree. You know, when I when I play, I like to I like to pay some attention to what my clothes are, and you know, right. if if my you know hair looks okay and stuff like that, I think I still think that matters because you're still it's there's a visual aspect to live performance. There is. Hey, guess. Oh, can I go off on a different tangent? How dare you? Go ahead. Um, I'll allow it. Guess who I heard in a pops concert with the Greensboro Symphony Orchestra a couple weeks ago? <sighs> Kenny G. Speaking of of clothes, he so whatever you think of Kenny G, he's probably I think it's fair to say the most famous saxophonist like in the world maybe of all time. Whether you like that or don't like that is aside. First of all, he played great. It was amazing. You know whether or not you like that music, whatever. The you, woman next well, to me up. was singing Audience those members, tunes. Do you hear the number of qualifiers Sue has added? Well, to I this? know because I'm looking at Wally's face and I I'm giving her a hard time. No, I, but I mean, like Kenny G. Okay, so but here's the thing: he was wearing the most gorgeous, beautifully tailored suit, very deep blue. He looked amazing, and the guys, like the guys in his sixties, he looks fit as. You, you can imagine a person being, his hair looks great. It's like shoulder length now and not like hey, the Sue, really long. Let's not objectify oh Kenny God. G, okay? He's hey. a person. Okay, Sue. whatever, And Wally. frankly, I think Mark might feel a little uncomfortable <laughs> with the... <laughs> no, Mark was sitting there next to me. And Mark was me. like, he looks gorgeous. <laughs> he looks great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy's like, I think, whoa, I just spilled my water. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Oh, no. Sue is so excited about the look of Kenny G. <laughs> she just knocked over a water bottle. But, I mean, he looked 
great. And he, he has an old, I'm sorry about your rug. <laughs> he has a, you know, whatever old soprano he's had since high right. school. No, um, no uh, neck strap. I think it's one of those old Mark sixes. It doesn't have right. like the neck strap thing. So the, so first of all, he looked great. He wore beautiful clothes. You know what? And that's something that I think that you're talking about. So you don't have to walk out in a T-shirt and jeans to play right. a pop. He could have done that. He could have walked out in a, a T-shirt and jeans and the audience would have been just crazy for him because they love him no matter what. But the other thing that I, that I was going to say that I forgot now what I was going to say, so forget was it. Was that before or after you just <laughs> chucked a liter of water <laughs> all water over my all office? Over your office. <laughs> Oh, bro. Oh, oh, no neck strap. So here's yeah. so the thing is the thing that bugs me is um, about playing the saxophone is the neck strap. So I can't play without a neck strap, even soprano. I use a neck strap. That's just how I play. I, I've tried without a neck strap, and I don't know how people do it, but I have to have one. But I don't like the way they look. I don't like. We've talked about all these crazy the new exoskeletons. Ones that, yeah, all those things. I don't like the way they look either. But um, I remember doing a concerto. When, um, with Hillary, Hillary Tan Concerto, I can't remember. I think it was the, the World Saxophone Congress Bangkok performance. And she was like, oh, um, do you have to have that to play? <laughs> because it doesn't, it, it kind of like, you know, doesn't really look good with the beautiful dress. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, no, it doesn't. But, I mean, I have to have it. So I'm like... I haven't figured out, you know, how to find a neck strap that that looks nice with with a woman's beautiful concert gown kind of thing. I mean, a guy with a suit can kind of, you know, sort of can blend in. You wear a black suit and a black neck strap, you barely notice. Uh, oh, I mean, then we look cool. One of my favorite pictures is actually Paul Desmond at the. This is going to sound a little, I mean, like old school goofy, uh, but um, Paul Desmond playing at the Playboy Club, uh-huh. and there's one of the Playboy bunnies. It, she looks like she's hitting on him as he's like getting his, his oh, read geez. on, and I think like, but like we have that's an I, I, you know, iconography of men playing jazz. Yeah. So whether or not the next strap is aesthetically pleasing, we have decades of history telling us this is cool. Yeah. That not the modern exoskeletons or yeah. the the breathe right breathy neck strap which has bars and straps and what i do like about that one is that you know it keeps the neck strap from kind of squeezing around your neck but i also don't really like the way it looks with my dress clothes if i wear right. a, a black turtleneck or something like that then it's kind of okay and actually my regular strap neck strap that i just use a bg strap neck strap i don't use any you don't use fancy, the, uh, I, do, I don't but it looks fine if i have a white like a black right. turtleneck or something like that but if i wear you know something with a nice neckline or something mm-hmm. i mean the, the the so i don't wear you know any kind of fancy neckline when i play concerts because this next strap's just going to destroy it anyway well, we so. need to fix that i know so if anybody's got any ideas let me know actually i I do. I'm, Such a girl I'm literally. Oh, okay. So I'm going to. Oh God. Now, well, not I, now I'm feeling. I'm feeling very sexist right now because I'm developing uh, a neck strap. So I've got three products that are going to be coming out in Look the near future. Look at you. And this is all goes back to this idea of these things. I will not use a heavyweight screw. I will not use right. the Clang Boken. What is that? That's the thing that attaches from your mouthpiece to the neck. It's a metal bar that attaches. You know nothing of this stuff, do you? Sue's looking at me like I'm just making stuff. I could be making up. The the it's, brace on the neck? It, it, no, it's a, it's a little piece of metal that it, that you looks like these elastic hair bands. Um, attach it so you have metal touching the mouthpiece right. and then the neck. Okay. And that does something to the sound. So that the heavy mask screw, that weird bell brace thingy. Oh yeah. Uh, and all that stuff, I will not use. 
I don't care if they make me sound 30% better because I don't like the way they look because I think aesthetics are very important. Right. So because I'm not at all saying it should be important to other people. It just is to me. I really care. Oh, yeah. If you want to buy that stuff and if it makes you feel better and you sound better, go for it. Who cares? I care because it looks goofy. But <laughs> part of it is. Uh, but if so, other people look goofy, then more people will hire us. Because we look better. I, I think so. Well, there you know, <laughs> my band is going to slay me. So the Eastern Music Festival, we're doing the Chamber Crawl, where we're oh, going to have to schlep all our stuff at three different locations downtown. Oh. We're playing three sets. Well, that's and awesome. And it's going to be in late June. I insist, uh, if you play with the Sonnenuts, you're going to wear a suit and tie. Um, well, black yeah. suit, thin black tie, yeah. white pocket square. That's the look. Yeah. Um, and people think, that's stupid. I don't care. It's not stupid. I, I don't care. What are your shoes going to be? Well, that's where there's some. I'm. That's where I'm going to probably use, my midlife crisis will come into play. I'll wear my Doc Martens just oh, so I, nice, you know, yeah. so I, I can remember okay. the '90s. I have a question. Yes. I'm sorry. Um, are you going to take like t-shirt and jeans to like schlep equipment between things, or are you going to do that in your suit? We're going to do that. Hire roadies. Hire. I'm, I'm a saxophonist. So I, I, know, I, right. I We can. We can barely. Doesn't hire. the Easter Music Festival have staff to help? No kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to ask an intern. Will you carry this? And then like, <laughs> no, they're like, nah. Yeah, well, sir, okay. you've been canceled. I hope um, that it'll be an overcast day, but not raining. So you'll have. Well, some, that's kind. Some... I don't care. I like to see the guys suffer. I'm quite used to it. I like. I like being toasty. Um, but okay. The yeah. point of all this aesthetic. So I'm des- um, developing a ligature, which is in the prototyping stage right now. But aesthetics were, like, key. So, number one, it had to be completely functional, meaning secure the read. Number two, it had to have the sound of response. Um, Number three, we needed to manufacture in a way that kept it reasonably priced because I hate luxury products. I like quality products. Where quality is where you meet the needs within spec. Yeah. So if it's needlessly expensive, that's luxury. I think that's stupid. Um, So the, the, the ligature that will be coming out is I'm just over the moon with the... The aesthetics of it, how beautiful it is, and how it works with the shape and the flow of the saxophone. That was really important to me. Uh, we have a neck strap or a strap. I won't say neck strap, but we have a yeah. strap that we're developing that may be very comfortable to play, but doesn't look like an orthopedic brace. Okay. Um, and going to be collaborating Can't with an, a it. doctor of osteopathy, uh, a very prominent oh. sports medicine physician, to make sure it's actually not just this feels good. Like I'm going to actually have someone who understands muscular skeletal yes, nature, so it doesn't hurt people. Right, and yeah. even um, then the third item I'm going to keep a surprise. Okay. Um, but aesthetics really matter. So even yeah. if all those little clang bokens and heavy mass, whatever, I just think they look goofy. Yeah. And I don't know. There's something so beautiful in. I really think the presentation of art music, I like it to feel special. Yeah. So oh, for sure. Have you seen um, pictures of Tim McAllister when he goes out on stage to play? Uh, not recently. He's in a great suit. Actually, people made uh, made comments that he wore like white tennis shoes so, or yeah. something like that for the like, so he thinks about like how he looks. He doesn't you Branford Marcellus, have you ever oh my, seen well, that guy play? Well, he does not walk out on stage looking no, like I, a slob. If ever, his his brother, you know? Wynton Marcellus, I know <laughs> yeah. at least in his oh, band, man. they have sponsorship with Brooks Brothers. Oh, do they really? Yes, absolutely. I'm not surprised. I mean it's important. People go and they pay money to hear you play. They don't want you to come out looking like a banker. Oh wait, that's bad because bankers can look really good. But you know I mean looking like a like a professor, like a college yeah, yeah. professor, a dumpy well, that's not fair. Actually, you know the first, the first, the first true serious <laughs> performer to kind of normalize business suits and ties was Glenn Gould, to my understanding. Really, uh, not wearing concert black, but wearing oh, a business suit. Oh, yeah. And I can't think of anything that looked cooler, crazy, but cool than you know Glenn Gould in the in the you know the mid century. But, yeah, but you know it matters. You know, come out and and you know 
It's respectful to your audience to show up I looking think, good. And I think when the gear looks beautiful, it makes me happy. And I completely yeah. understand. There's lots of people. Maybe the most people disagree with me. But well, I think that's it, okay. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Is, it, is it okay? Yeah, okay, it's okay. <laughs> but I... So, yeah. I, we all those, disagree. All those performance <laughs> enhancers, um, unless they look beautiful, I, I just love the shape and the... Well, and those, you know, those heavy, you know, neck screw things, they're kind of pretty. They got this pearl on the end. A well, lot of some them and some stuff. have like literal machine knurling. Yeah. Um, where it's just specific. It's utilitarian. It's for easy grip, like you would see on oh, a yeah. on a drill adjustment. Yeah. And that to me is just completely off brand and buttock uh, ugly. I see what I you're saying. I was about to say. I, was, yeah. I don't know why I thought I couldn't say butt ugly because like that's fine. I can, I can say what we can, can say whatever we want. So well, it's our podcast. We should. No. I, but we I don't want to keep it clean. We do. <laughs> you know who was the first person to break the clean? Um, Tim McAllister. Tim said. S H Oh no. On the podcast. And that was the first time we've ever I've ever had to mark a did podcast. You have to, did you have to did you bleep it? No, I had to oh. check the explicit box oh. on the episode. So so one of the best known classical saxophones in the world. He, he said a bad word on the oh. podcast. Where you and I we Naughty keep boy. it clean. We keep it clean. We try. Too. We may have said something we shouldn't have once or twice. We mm. say a lot of things we shouldn't say. But, but never they're not, they're not, but they're not us. <laughs> They're just a bunch of BS. <laughs> yeah, I said lots of things. I'll make sure I never work again. So to answer David Lewis's question uh, with a sizable rant, Sue doesn't <laughs> care David. if they work. I I care if they work, but I I don't. I can't deal with how they look. Yeah. Um. I guess I care if they work, but you know. <laughs> right. This. Yeah. I'm unlikely to take the time to try them unless you like deliver it to my door and say. Hey, you got a minute to try this? <laughs> Generally, the FedEx guy doesn't say that, though. They just drop it off. Well, you know, when, when uh, Van Doren sent me some mouthpieces to try, you know, they sat around in a box for quite a long time, but I did eventually get around to trying them. But they actually had to send them to me unsolicited. <laughs> which <laughs> That was years ago. <laughs> so which leads me to my next question. So when's that, that black carbon uh, ligature coming on, Sue? I don't know. Van Doren artist, Sue I Fancher. don't know. No, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, will you please send me uh, David Gould's contact info? I'm not going to muscle in. I just want to be like, David, please send Sue these things and this information and then copy it on me so I can I can guide her through. Let, yeah. let me help you. Okay. Help me well, help you. <laughs> if David wants me to try this stuff, he'll send it. I will help. I will help uh, make him. I had such a great time in New York. Well, did you get to hang out it with David Gould? Yeah, David was there, Michael Finolio, you know, Michael Michael Skinner was there, the president of Danzer. So it's really Danzer is the, the company that I have contact with. Okay, right, right, right. the distributor. Yeah, it's like Daddario for Rico. It's, you know, Danzer is the well, company for, you know, that distributes uh, right. Van Doren. The, yeah, but Daddario now owns Rico. Yes. But they were the distributor. Yes. And they were the distributor of Van Doren until yeah. there was a conflict of interest. Ah. Uh, you know, understandably. Yeah. But apparently the presidents are friends. Which is cool. Speaking of friends. Yes. I'm really glad you're my friend, Sue Fancher. I'm glad you're my friend, Wally. Um, let's keep practicing. Um, oh, we got to keep practicing. There are so many things to talk about. We'll talk more we'll next We'll talk week. More, more next week. But in the yes. meantime, take off of the ridiculous stuff on your sax and make it look cool again. That's what I'm <laughs> And use more air. Yeah, always. Play a good line. Yeah. All right, Just Sue. play a good line. Yeah, play a good line. With lots of air and no, no yes. silly accessories. Go practice. Go practice, friends. <laughs> take care. Bye, guys. Bye.